Hey, it's Brian here. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Go Be More podcast. For those of you who've never heard of Go Be More Apparel, I just want to take a moment to tell you what we're about. We believe we all have a responsibility to chase our dreams, and we want to give you the motivation, the mindset, and the permission to do it. We want our apparel to be a constant reminder of your commitment to achieving your goals. We want the words Go Be More to remind you of your dreams and your next steps every time you see them. As for this podcast, every Tuesday I speak with John Rankin, world-class miler, kidney disease survivor, and founder of Go Be More, about topics that will help to unlock your potential and get you moving forward. Every Friday, we interview a special guest to learn more about their Go Be More journey. In this episode, we speak with Ron, Ronnie Sarmento, real estate technology entrepreneur and one of John's longtime mentors. Ron shares his story of growing up on the west side of Orange, what he deems the meth capital of Southern California, and how the decisions he made led him initially into a life of crime. Though he thought he'd walked away, his past eventually caught up with him and he found himself facing 18 years in prison. Through hard work and a few blessings, Ron turned that situation into a career as an entrepreneur, which has now led to him becoming a mentor, advisor, and motivational speaker. He knows from personal experience that we all have second chances, and that who we were doesn't define who we can be. We recorded this episode shortly after the Black Lives Matter protests began, and Ron also shares his ideas about what we need to do to move forward as a country. We are so grateful to Ron for joining us to tell his story. All right, on to the episode. Ron Ronnie, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you, Brian, and thank you, John, for having me on here. Uh, very excited. And, Absolutely. Uh, let's get this party rolling, right? <laughs> well, <laughs> I got to start with the first question. Ron Ronnie, can you tell me the story about why we're introducing you as Ron Ronnie? Well, uh, you know, oddly enough, my mother had a great sense of humor, so she decided to name me Ron Ron and Ronnie. No, just kidding. <laughs> uh, the reason, <laughs> so my birth name, I, I, it's uh, actually Ronald Sarmiento. That's right. But growing up, uh, you know, I was nicknamed growing up as Ronnie. So all my family, close friends, the people that get to know me, uh, call me Ronnie. But on my business and professional life, I've always gone by Ron. And so once I get close to somebody, and they, once they know me as a human being, as a person, the true person that I'm at, uh, then at that point in time, uh, you know, I allow them to call me Ronnie. Uh, but by all means, you can call me Ronnie if you feel comfortable. But uh, normally, I like to reserve that for people that actually know the authentic me. Well, hopefully we'll be there at the end of this podcast. Let's see. <laughs> <laughs> well, exactly. No, I'm going to tell you, we're, we're all in for a treat today because uh, Ron is, uh, has been a mentor of mine for many years. We worked together. Uh, I met Ron uh, at, at, at Big Purple Dot, uh, a software company. And um, Ron has been so instrumental in so many ways over the last five, six years of, of helping me to really, you know, really love who I am as a person, embrace my the, the motivational speaker side of myself just you nurtured so much of, of me you know as a salesperson at least that's what I started out as but I feel like I became part of the family you know part of the culture uh, the beautiful culture at the, at the company and, I, and obviously developed a wonderful relationship with you that well I believe will span the rest of our lives and you have such a, a just a powerful way about yourself and that's why I wanted to connect you with Brian bring you on to the Go Be More platform and just Share your story. You know, uh, obviously, one of the first things that we we definitely want to do is talk about your your background, um, just you know, you know, your childhood, where you grew up, because I think that's going to help paint a really 
nice perspective on the rest of your story as an entrepreneur uh, and as a very motivating and inspirational person. Well, I appreciate it. Uh, so, you know, uh, when you guys approached me, the message you guys have of Go Be More uh, resonates and aligns a lot with my philosophies in life. And, uh, you know, one of the two of the philosophies I have, uh, the whole, I strong to hold to, is one, just like Go Be More, and I think this is where it kind of complements each other, is, is I've always taught not only uh, kids that I mentor, adults that I mentor, business people that I mentor, is living the greatness you're born to be. Those two are very parallel to Go Be More. Absolutely. And it's very ironic because I've known John now for close to, it feels like six years, right? Yeah. And so Go Be More with the Gingerbread Man is a story that he's always told me. Uh, and it's, it's odd how the universe works where we attract people of likeness. Yep. And so mm -hmm. living the greatness you were born to be, something that I, I teach people to do, it's because I, I hold true that we all have second chances in life. And I think that, that having that awareness and that knowing that no matter what we go through in life, that if we have a second chance as human beings while we're alive and we can still breathe, it doesn't matter what's going on in life. That means we almost have a free pass to know that we can go out there and fail while trying and focus on pursuing whatever dream that we have, whatever goals we put, because failure is part of what life is. But a lot of times what people do is we quit right after some challenge comes up mm -hmm. or we quit after, you know, we get some type of what we call a misfortune in life, making a mistake in life and knowing that we have a second chance. And it's not just about second chance. I say second chances. But once you understand that you have a second chance, you know that the chances are unlimited mm -hmm. uh, as long as you keep on pushing forward. So uh, mm -hmm. when I heard that, that you guys are really, truly pushing what is go be more, it, it really means something to me because to go be more in life is something that um, it's difficult for people to understand and give themselves permission to go be more. Uh, I think that mm. that's where success first starts is Knowing that just like a tennis player, I'm not, I've never been an athlete or any type of uh, sport like a runner or a sprinter, you're out there by yourself. Until you realize that you are enough of how you are and how you're born to go be more, which is accepting who you are with your limitations, not just your talents, because I think that's a big mistake that I've done growing up as a kid and now as an adult still now, you know, there are these habits we have to keep on correcting ourselves is looking at what the greatnesses we have. Well, those greatnesses that we have are usually God-given talents that we were just born with. So yeah, you can refine them, but what we should be really refining and working on is the limitations that we have. The more that we can focus on those limitations, we can be stronger, whatever uh, facet of life you want to be, wh whatever you want to achieve. But um, I'm sorry, I probably went on a long, no. a long way, but. To go be more to me means a lot to me because it resonates with me because uh, uh, I think that every human being needs to go out there and live the greatness we were born to be. We forget about those things. But before we can go live the greatness we were born to be, we need to accept ourselves how we are with all our greatnesses and also all our limitations and give ourselves permission to go out there and go be more. I uh, love that you uh, that you use the word permission, Ron. John, John and I have actually had this conversation. I don't know, fairly recently. It's come up a few times, and mm -hmm. and 
one of the biggest challenges is actually giving yourself the permission to to do whatever it is you feel you need to be doing. There's you mm-hmm. you, you have lots of stuff in your life that is pushed onto you. And so maybe you brought it onto yourself. Maybe you chose these opportunities and now you have responsibilities, you know, let's just say. But but whatever it is, you've you've got this set of responsibilities, but and you want to do something different. And a lot of the times people feel like they don't have the permission to do it. And and actually that's one of those those concepts where I find when I talk with, especially like because I teach at a university and I talk to my students, I challenge them a lot in the class to really dig into their personalities and, and, and stuff in, in the topics that we cover. And sometimes they will ask me and I'll I'll just say like, you you can do that. Like, I, I'll give you permission to do that. Like, I'll give you permission well, to go pursue that. And then that. They, they that frees yeah. them yeah. to just sort of say like, no, well, I, I, they don't they don't need permission from me. But having permission from someone mm-hmm. can make all the difference in terms of your willingness to pursue something uh i agree i think that um, maybe i'll articulate a little bit differently i think that what uh the, the a lot of the problem that we have as human beings is that we first look for permission from other people outside mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to validate what we want to do and that's a very dangerous thing to do mm-hmm. uh, sometimes the people that are closest to us once we reveal that dream that we want to do and it's not that they're bad people I think it's just a, a human reaction, a knee-jerk reaction, which is, uh, and, and I think in many ways are helping us out to, to see how much we're committed to that dream, that it won't be a positive response like we're looking for. And so waiting for permission from other people to give you permission to do something is always, to me, a recipe uh, to fail. Mm-hmm. And the reason why it's a recipe to fail means that you haven't put that commitment to yourself. And the permission to yourself is all that important because that's when you dig deep and you realize, man, I'm, I'm good at these five different things, but I'm terrible at the three different things. I'm a procrastinator. Uh, you know, maybe I want to be a runner and my legs are too short. I don't know if that's important. Yeah. <laughs> you know, whatever it may be, you got to come to that realization that there is nobody out there that's going to make it happen first. Right. Until you first take the responsibility and own it. After that, I think that those other people, such as what you do with your students, is very important. But I think that runs more of motivation. Uh, I think that also comes down to uh, coaches that are helping people perfect that skill. But as a coach, I can tell as a professional coach in the business side, before I even bring mm-hmm. anybody into mentoring with me, and I'm sure that's how you guys feel, or maybe the coaches you had before, especially if you guys ran in UCLA. I mean, part of what happens is the the recruitment process is coaches wanting to make sure that you're a coachable human being. True. Because just because you have a talent to run doesn't mean that you're going to be successful. One has to be humble enough to be coachable. And I think that humility comes from making that decision in the beginning to give yourself permission. Because the permission uh, process is confronting those limitations that you have and those fears that you have. Until you do that, you will never be coachable. Uh, and mm-hmm. I think that's where we live in ego. Ego really, it, we're talking about, is the fear of people in exposing our, our limitations, our flaws, our fears. So um, anyway, that, that's, the, that's why I think giving ourselves permission is overlooked because it's so much more if we actually dig into it. Can I ask you a question, Ron, about staying on this topic because... I think that one of the interesting things for a lot of us is 
our, our actual background. And so I want to t- touch on this earlier, you know, how we're raised, the culture, sure. you know, our, our culture and ethnicity. Uh, so a lot of like uh, what, what's okay in our culture, how our parents are raised and how they in turn raise us impacts our ability to see what's holding us back when we get older. You know, I don't think that our parents are ever doing anything intentionally, especially when they're raised a certain way, to hold us back. But there are certain things that sometimes are being handed down generation to generation from one to the next that holds back and also also conditions you to be a certain way. Can you speak to about, you know, you you have a Hispanic background. I'd love for you to talk about where you're from, where your family's from, where different parts of the uh, of the uh, of the world. And how has that, if any, your, your background, culturally speaking, ethnicity-wise, how you were raised, how that's impacted, how you view, you're giving yourself the permission to dream and chase your dreams and, and, and what that's been like? Sure. Uh, well, I got to tell you, coming from a Hispanic background, you know, we've been going through, you know, you can see the, the environment that we're going through right now, Black Lives Matter, right? Um, yeah. You know, even though we Hispanics have a lot of um, similar challenges to go through uh, as far as being able to advance as Americans, uh, there's a big distinct difference. But there's also very relatable things, mm-hmm. uh, meaning that mm-hmm. uh, for us as Hispanics, as Latinos, it was our parents or grandparents that made a decision to come to this country. Uh, they weren't brought here dropped off and you know you now you got to figure it out on your own yep so the reason why i'm bringing that up is if my when my parents so my parents came here my my father he's bolivian from south america my mother is from mexico guadalajara and so when they came here to this country they came because they were told that this is the land of great opportunity and that's something i want to talk to you in a little bit because i think that that's part of something that we've forgotten as a society as a culture uh, you know, and I'm not going to really blame it onto politics because we have to own up to it as as American citizens. But in this country that we have right now, it doesn't matter from where you come from, what background that you're from. Yes, there's a lot of improvement that we need to make as a country, and it's very noticeable where our flaws are. But there's a lot of great things that this country has to offer. And what I the reason why I'm bringing that up is that even though we weren't forced to come here to this country it was a choice that we made once our parents got here once our grandparents got here they realized that the american dream that they thought the american dream that they were told is not exactly the american dream that is Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. so maybe it's a little bit of ignorance (laughs) uh you know wishful thinking to come i'm telling you there are stories even now uh, as i hear my my father talk about it or my mother my grandfather, when he came here uh, to the United States, he's Bolivian, uh, it was shock. The first thing that they had was shock because the stories that were told to them was that there was going to be streets of gold. Exactly. And literally, they thought that the streets were going to be filled with gold. Yep. <laughs> so imagine to arrive here and that's not the case. But the purpose and the reason why I'm bringing that up is that even though when we arrived here, and I say we as a Hispanic and Latino culture, uh, we realized that there were not streets of gold, and it was more metaphorically speaking. We still live in the <laughs> best opportunity of a country right now to make a difference where we as human beings 
have the opportunity to make a change, to voice our opinions, to voice our limitations, and, and, and make a change for the progress of good of humanity. So if you ask me the question, I think the question was, how did my background help, uh, help mold me to where I'm at? I can't just say one thing that it had to do with my background as being a Latino or how my parents raised me. Because at the end of the day, they're the choices that we make. You can get two individuals, and we see this with siblings, many accounts of many stories, that one becomes extremely successful and the other goes the other way and is incarcerated. And I think we see more of that with the Latino culture and uh, the, the, uh, the black American culture because mm -hmm. it has to do with social economics, mm -hmm. right? So, um, you know, social economics do take a, a, a big play, not just uh, race uh, or ethnic background, but are there, uh, it comes to the choices that we make. I had a father, he was very stern, very, very, uh, uh, you know, he, he only pushed and would accept greatness. And I had my mom that, that it was all about love. So I think for me, there, mm -hmm. that was a great combination, even though we weren't very wealthy. In fact, we're, we're, we would be considered uh, to be within the United States, you know, uh, poor. Right. Uh, but if you were to compare it to another place in the world, uh, we were considered rich, economically speaking, right? So uh, I think that it has to do a lot, how, a combination of how our parents raise us. Yes, it does, it does have a large influence, but I think more so they're the choices we make. So Ron, Example ask, being... Oh, I'm sorry, I don't want to cut you off. Yeah, I, I started, sure. but I was going to ask, like, what, did your, what did your dad do? And, and, and where, where exactly did you grow up? So I grew up in a city, well, I was born in Santa Ana, California, which is in Orange County, yep. uh, predominantly a Hispanic community. Uh, I lived there uh, until I think I was about seven or eight. We moved mm -hmm. to a city called Orange. Orange mm -hmm. is a very, it's a very unique city because it's it's divided into three sections. You have the east side of Orange, which is the affluent community in the hills. You have the center part of Orange, which is the historic circle of Orange, and I think that was more of like the divide in the middle of where it was okay for the west side of Orange, which was the side of Orange. It was more, uh, you know, drug infested, gang mm. uh, infested, uh, very much like Santa Ana in the 90s. You know, the cities have progressed, and I'm, I'm very happy about that, the way that our local mayors have handled it. But during that time, socioeconomically speaking, on the west side of Orange, where I grew up, I was exposed to a lot of the things that uh, weren't an ideal place and environment to raise a kid. Right. Up until I was about 16. At 16 years of age, my father, he was an entrepreneur. Um, he, he hit a streak of success in his life. Hmm. So we went from a, a two, imagine this. So we went from a, a two-bedroom apartment, the conditions of the apartment, you're talking about, uh, you know, a slumlord. It was very much slumlord, uh, roaches all over the place, right. small two little bedrooms, three kids growing up there, oh. gang-related. Uh, you know, you'd walk up to the street, people were selling drugs. During that time, uh, meth was extremely high, so that's where they had the, the meth labs. The west side of Orange, most people don't know this, was just like at the time, uh, areas of San Bernardino County, it, it, people were cooking meth on the west side of Orange. That was, that was a oh. hot spot. Right. More than anywhere else in Southern California during the time. And this was, 
this is my backyard. But even though I live during those times and in those situations with that environment, and this is where you're talking about how you, the decisions you make, I decided to be an athlete. Now, I didn't become a collegiate athlete like the two of you, but being an athlete, and I was pretty good on the high school level, you know, junior high level, it was more important to me because it was an outlet, yep. a safe zone of where I could be. But many of my friends that we lived and grew up in the same neighborhood, now, you know, now they've been in and out of jail, uh, you know, maybe not alive. And, and, but it was the choices that we made as, as young kids. And, and it doesn't make one, and this is where I want people, as, you know, I mentor a lot of kids too. And I, I want kids to know that even though you make that poor decision at the time, that should not dictate who you're going to be in the future. I decided to focus on sports. But when I was 16, my dad became successful. We moved from the west side of Orange to the east side of Orange. Okay. And I think it's very unusual because that impact of changing from going from, I forgot what the score footage was in the apartment, but it was very, very small. Right. Uh, but going from a very small apartment where you had holes in the carpet, roaches going around, very dangerous place to live around unless you were, you know, playing sports where you were protected, right? Mm -hmm. uh, to from one day to the other, moving to a house that was, I think, 4,800 or 5,000 square feet on the east side of Orange on a hill. Right. Just like that. I went from sharing a room, my parents living in a, a fold-out couch that was a created couch. It was, we, we didn't have enough money to buy a couch. We, were, we rolled the mattress, <laughs> oh put God. pillows, and, and blankets. That was our couch. Right. To just like that, my dad, that was my dad's style. He, he didn't tell us anything. He was a man, he's a man of secrets. I love him, though. And the man of secrets, uh, I remember that day, he said, let's go take a drive. Okay. We get into the car. <laughs> we start going from the west side of Orange. It's a street called Chapman. So you're going up Chapman. And as you're going up Chapman from the west side of Orange, you're hitting the center part of Orange. Then you're going to the east side of yeah. Orange. You start going up a hill. And you're thinking to yourself, you know, first of all, I've never been on this side of Orange, <laughs> you know, going up the hill. Because if you were to drive over there, you'd probably get pulled over. And, and, I, and I, we're trying to, I'm wondering, I remember my mom, we're like, what are we doing going up here? And he, he opens up this door to this house. And uh, I, I don't know if, um, you know, if Will Smith were real, you know, when he did Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, uh, when he opened up the door. But I can tell when I opened up the door and it was an empty large house, I, I didn't know what to do with it. Yeah. And, and I think that the way I internalized it at the time, and this is where I think second chances are important, was you would think that a young man would, looked at, would have looked at that as a positive thing. Mm -hmm. that they're going from a place of a low social economics to a place where now you're upper middle class. But for me, for whatever reason, the way I internalized it was I didn't feel that I had the permission or feel the worth to be living in that. At that point in time, I always right. I, there was a, a short period of time where I felt that I had to be someone else because... I felt like I didn't fit in, but at the same time, I did fit in. 
and I took a, a very reckless uh, type of approach to it in my life. Uh, reckless in the way that I, I handled sports. Uh, reckless in the way that I looked at the world around me. Um, can, can you give me an example? Sure. <laughs> I'll give you an, uh, one example. So uh, one example would be that um, with sports, uh, I did very well. And then uh, for my senior year, I dropped out of sports. Oh, just, just quit. Um, wow. I just, I just quit. Um, and at the time, I didn't really know why I did it. Now I look back and I go, okay, I can see I was acting out. Uh, I was trying to, to prove because remember, I, went, I did not remember. I didn't tell you. I didn't change my high school. Oh, you didn't? Oh, I was going to ask not, that. How, so I was still adjusted. at Orange okay. High School. So what had happened during that time, all, all my close friends that I grew up with on the west side of Orange, they didn't really, you know, they, they looked at me now as an outsider. Mm. And so and for me, it was like, well, I don't get it. <laughs> I haven't changed as a person. Uh, and later on when I talked to them, I, I found out that when they would come visit me, they would get pulled over. So they said, forget it, I didn't want to come visit you. Uh, you know, I took it very differently, which is well, now, now that I moved uh, on the other side of Orange, now uh, you don't want to talk to me. You don't want to hang out with me. Yeah. Um, and so I think they also took it. Now you think you're better than me, better than us. So trying to have that balance. And, you know, uh, and Orange was a very diverse high school during the time. You had very, very poor people. You had very wealthy people. You had people in the middle. It, it, you had uh, a large African-American community, black community. You had a large Hispanic uh, population, a large Vietnamese population. So in a way, it was, it was not only a mixing pot of uh, different cultures, but it was also a mixing pot of different social economics at the same time. Yeah. So you had mm. a whole bunch of different, so, you, know, uh, uh, you know, lower class, middle class, upper class. And then you had a diversity of different cultures all together. Uh, so I think that it was very difficult for me to digest that and to figure out where, where I, I fit in. And so I started acting out, dropping out of sports, being reckless in the way that um, I, I, I felt the need that I wanted to, to prove, you know, my place. So uh, example, I had uh, seven car accidents in one year. Oh. Um, there, were, there were not accidents. Uh, it had to do with racing and <laughs> And being reckless and careless. Yep. Um, wow. Yeah. So, uh, making poor decisions of taking shortcuts, easy way out, and and later on that that led to monetary success, but a huge lesson in life that um, that I wasn't ready for. Um, uh, you know. This is, I suppose, one of the topics that when you ask me, is there anything that you probably don't really want to talk about? Uh, this is one that I, I feel that uh, I don't like to talk about very much, but I think it's important, not so much because I want people to look at it and think how cool of a life it was, uh, because it's not. I want people to look at it that life is about doing and choosing what's right and what's wrong. And if you choose what's wrong, you might have success, but it's not sustainable success. Right. If you choose to do what is right, it always comes with strong, long sacrifice where you see very slow results for the most part, but it's more sustainable success. We only have a short period of time, so what I can tell you was a lot of how I grew up, culturally speaking, uh, having that social economic um, 
uh, I don't know what the word is, um, surprise. Yeah, that, that <laughs> major on to you. transition. Yeah, the big change. Transition. Yeah. Uh, that molded me, but it's still at the core. We're all good people that make, mm-hmm. that make our decisions, sometimes our poor decisions. Now, there's some evil people out there. That, that, no one's going to argue that. But the, for, for the most part, people that make mistakes in life are good people that have made poor decisions and then people give up on them. Society gives up on them. I'm glad that people didn't give up on me. Uh, I became very successful as far as, as an entrepreneur, but I was doing things the only way that I thought at the time I was able to be successful. A lot of people don't know this, but I'm a convicted felon and the felony that I, I had and I was convicted for um, I was in my mid late twenties, um, I think up to about thirty thirty one. Uh, I got involved in in, and I don't want to talk about uh, uh, for for personal reasons, uh, more safety reasons. Uh, I got involved in a um, an organization uh, that. Um, In an organization, uh, I can't name what the organization is, but um, it wasn't a legal organization. Okay. And, um, uh, but I got to tell you, most people don't realize it, is if you can become successful doing something that's illegal, mm-hmm. you can be become successful in something that is legal. And I hope, mm-hmm. if anything, when I say this, anybody out there that feels that they have to conform to doing the wrong thing, being in, uh, in an industry that I call it an industry because it makes money, an industry that's illegal, that's a choice and that's untrue. You're better than that. You're better than that and you can become successful. And if you choose to do that, whatever it may be, if it's wrong, if it's illegal, it's going to catch up to you and it will not last. My run went for, I think it was uh, six and a half years. Mm. Oddly enough, I made a choice to leave because at the core, I realized not only that it was wrong, but it's a very overwhelming. It, it takes a toll upon you mentally, physically, uh, waking up every day, um, having to, to uh, be armed. Because and and not you know able to sleep affecting your family affecting your well being, it's not healthy. Uh, it wasn't sustainable as me as a human being. I, I was not in a good place. Even though I had a lot of money, I didn't have safety. Mm-hmm. I didn't have peace of mind. And so I decided to walk away. Uh, I, I was fortunate enough that I was able to walk away without consequences, uh, as far as safety consequences. But it caught up to me. After I walked away, I went from having pretty much anything you could imagine that you want to have in life. And I made a choice to walk away and walk away from all of the financial um, gain that I had accomplished. And I thought, I was so naive, I thought that I could balance out what one would call probably karma Mm -hmm. by... um, by reforming yourself 
in trying to reteach yourself and try to, I shouldn't say that. I was trying to punish myself. Right. And so yeah. um, I walked away and I went to work at a company as a debt collector, working behind a desk, you know, answering phones, skip tracing. I mean, it, it was very humbling experience, but it was very important for me to do that. And at that point in time, I thought that I already had taught myself a lesson. I thought that I had walked away from uh, what I was involved with. So I said, you know what? Uh, I'm, I'm going to do it right this time. I, I'm going to go get a real estate license. Uh, I'm going to be the best real estate agent that I can. And, and I did that. And for one year, I was a top real estate agent in my area. I outsold, outpaced, outgrew everybody around me. In exactly one year, to the date of the success that I had for one year as a real estate agent, I got a phone call from the FBI. And everything came collapsing down. At that mm. time, my wife, I got married. She was pregnant at the time with my son, who's now um, eight years old. And the reality of the poor decisions that I made in the past caught up to me even though I thought that I safely walked away from it. Yep. Mm. So this is where it's important for anybody that's made a mistake to know that if you do it the right way, you do get a second chance to redeem yourself. But you get a second chance to redeem yourself not on your own time. Right. You have to redeem yourself on the time. I don't know, whatever you believe out there, whether it's God, the universe, karma, you will have to pay for that time. But when you do, if you, if you own what you've done in the past, it doesn't have to be that large. We all go through these different things. But at that moment, you know, karma, God, whatever you want, looks at you in the eye. For me, it's God. He looked at me in the eye and said, what are you going to do with your life now? How are you going to handle yourself now? That was the most challenging time of my life to be confronted with the possibility of, at the time when I was indicted, of being sentenced to be incarcerated for, it was 18 years. Oof. To hear that is a very devastating thing. But what you do and how you react to that is even more important. So whatever that, that trial that you're going through, whenever you're confronted, if you've already been confronted with it or you haven't, you will. Everyone, we're all going to be confronted with that moment. That is where the choices you make in life are even more so important. Because when we first started this conversation, you asked me, John, what were the things how you grew up, your background that made you who you were. Now, mm -hmm. your background influences the decisions you make. But what makes you as a human being is when you arrive to a point of maturity to make the right decision rather than the wrong decision because of no other reason than you know that's the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. Um, I was very blessed that I didn't have to serve 18 years. Uh, my trial, going through the whole entire system, 
it took nearly three years to go wow. through all of that. So three years of the unknown, uh, three years with working with the FBI, three years with uh, stripping yourself to pretty much nothing other than the faith and the love you have for your family. Were you, um, were you living at home at this time for the three years or were you in, were you sort of in jail waiting to oh, be no. processed through? So, yeah. So I, I was indicted. Yeah. Um, then uh, I, I posted bond. Yeah. So for three years, um, I think, at the, I think that's called, it's called pretrial. So you have a pretrial yeah. officer. So during that time I was under pretrial, uh, um, um, circumstances. Yep. Uh, but on the date of my sentencing, uh, the judge, his name was Judge Selna, is Judge Selna. Uh, he, I, 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 I don't know how he saw the person that I was standing in front of him and not the person that I was when I had committed those crimes because I pled guilty because I was guilty. Mm-hmm. Um, he gave me nine months of home confinement and and it was a blessing that i got that because I, I i did not miss one day of my son's life to be there yep and what was the blessing of of how i reacted is now the um the corporate experience that i have uh the success of being able to be embraced by the community of the industry that I'm in has everything to do with the decision, the right decision, the good decision that it decided to make. Interestingly, it was a blessing in disguise. And that's how I became one of the co-founders of Big Purple Software Technology Company. So during that time, it wasn't a choice. Right. When I first started and I got indicted, the FBI, um, did not see anything of the goodness in me because that's not their job. Mm-hmm. I, I, I really felt during that time of three years, I proved my worth and they got to see me as who I was and who I am and who I evolved to be. But the reason why I would say the later part of my success that why we're here and why John invited me on, that people know me for in my industry as a motivational speaker a consultant for businesses and software and technology and a co-founder of a successful technology company in real estate and mortgage was a sheer act of a blessing from God in how I made the decision. I, I went to pretrial and the first thing that they told me was you have to renounce your, your real estate license. Mm-hmm. You can't practice real estate. That was one. The second thing they told me was, in order for you to be at home, you need to go get a job. I said, okay, easy enough. I can do that. <laughs> now, um, the, the, the third thing which made it difficult was, you need to go get a job. And I remember I'd have to submit the forms and I have to send it in for an interview. But I had to disclose to that potential employer mm-hmm. that I was under pretrial for an indictment. Now, who's going to hire you? Exactly. Yeah. 
<laughs> All right. So, um, yeah. So the, the conditions that they put that I had to accept to go out on bond, right? Now, normally this wouldn't be acceptable, but these were conditions I accepted for the bond. Okay. So, you know, I, I just signed off. Yes, yes. I want to go get me out of here. I don't want to go to jail. Right. And as right. you start reading, it's like, well, I'm being set up to not being able to be employed or employable. Mm -hmm. So, therefore, you know, it, it was. It was almost a way that they, they stacked the cards against me. Mm -hmm. During this time, my siblings, my, my brother and my sister had started a company or were trying to start a company. They didn't really have a name, but they were trying to come up with a name, which is now Big Purple Dot. My brother had a background in software and programming, and um, he wanted to build websites for real estate companies. And my sisters, she actually... Uh, put the money up for it. Well, they had this little, small little office in Irvine, and they weren't selling. They weren't doing anything. My background had been in sales, so a lot of people say, "Well, how, how did how did you, in a short period of time, become so successful as an entrepreneur?" And I tell them, "Well, I've been an entrepreneur since I was a young kid. Just because I wasn't doing things that were legal right. uh, doesn't mean that I wasn't doing a type of sales or marketing." Right. Um, I was just focusing it in the wrong direction. So it was it was really a marriage that happened between the three of us because of circumstance. I needed a job. <laughs> exactly. Really, really bad. Yep. And uh, they needed sales really, really bad. Mm -hmm. So we made an agreement. And at that point in time, we decided to work together. They gave me an opportunity to have employment. The, the funny thing about it is, the employment wasn't contingent on me getting paid. It was this employment. So uh, I had employment. I wasn't getting paid, but I had my freedom. Right. And um, yeah. all I knew at that point in time that I needed something to focus on. And, and I, want you, I want people who are listening to this, this is very important. When you're down, when the, the cards are stacked against you and you feel that there's no way out, you need to find that passion you have inside and you need to find something that you could focus that negative energy in and convert it into a positive outlet. Mm -hmm. That right there is something that not only will save you, it will always lead to the place you were supposed to be. Just because you're going through whatever trial or tribulation you're going through, through at that time does not mean that you're not supposed to. You are supposed to be right where you are right now. Now, if you're listening, if you're watching me, if you feel this and you know it and you can feel it in my words, where you're at right now is exactly where you need to be. And I'm begging you and I'm pleading with you. Own it. Make the decision to know that you are where you are right now because that door that you feel that is not going to open is not going to open, but there's another door for you. I took that opportunity. Yeah. I ran with it. And from that moment, I, I call it my second chance in life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. From that moment. Now, now it hasn't been all, you know, beautiful uh, and perfect, but I got to tell you every day I can wake up without having to look over my shoulder Every day I can wake up without having to worry that either I'm going to be arrested, 
killed, remembered for being someone that I know deep down inside I was not. Mm-hmm. Because I was aware enough to take what seemed to be a terrible circumstance and look at it as a blessing. Um, maybe on another podcast we can get into what the situation was, but I think that the, 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 the message I want to echo to people is that don't give up on life. Don't give up on who you are. You're perfect just the way you are. And if you want to go be more, love yourself first. Give yourself permission to go be more. Anyway, but uh, that that's your that's well, Brian, the answer in a nutshell. So now you guys know who I am. So uh, you know we can pretty much talk about any topic you guys want about <laughs> after that. Yeah, honestly, I'm I, what a blessing. I think that I just want to say first of all, thanks for you know the, tapping into that courageous side of yourself to share what you shared in the way that you shared it. I think that the most important thing is uh, highlighting for all of us that we all have some type of challenge that we've challenges that we faced or are facing and we'll continue to face at different points in our life. And those are defining moments in our lives. And those are, but those are opportunities where it's kind of like that, the, the night and shining armor where the knight sent off to go. If he really wants to marry the princess, he's got to go fight the dragon first. He's like, okay, cool. We like you. You get to have the princess, but first you got to go fight the dragon. If you're not willing to go fight the dragon, you don't get to have the princess kind of a thing. You don't get the prize. You don't get the And prize. I think we all have a dragon and we all have the prize. And in many ways in our own life, we're the knight in shining armor. And at some point we have to actually be the knight. We actually have to go and fight that fight. And the way that you describe your story, in many ways, I feel like that's, what you're describing and what you learned was how to fight the fight that you were facing and, and any other fight that you'll ever face. And you know how to overcome it because you had the courage to make the hard decision to actually go face the dragon and and withstand the fire, you know, that you you know, that was inevitably going to inevitably going to come with fighting a dragon, you know, and I know we've talked about that as a, that story or that type of storyline, we kind of see it all over the place. There's always got to be a bad guy. There's always got to be something we're fighting. There's always got to be a good guy and somebody that's trying to be rescued. But I think that that's, I really hear that very clearly in your story. And the wonderful thing that jumps out at me that I really want to just uh, say succinctly is that your dreams will save your life. You know, that's what your that's what I get out of your story. And uh, I'd love to hear what Brian's take on it for sure. And there's a couple of other things I want to touch on in the last, you know, 15 minutes or so that we have with you. But I, I feel like that was the, the big lesson that jumps out at me that I want to state very clearly is that, and this is what we believe as a brand. This is what our message is, is that when we say become what the world is chasing, the only way to do that is to chase your dreams, to chase what's inside of you and then make that your, your North star. You know, Brian says like the big dreams we have are the North star dreams that we have. So that's what I get out of it. I love every aspect of your story, but your dreams will save your life. I wholeheartedly a hundred percent believe that. And so thank you so much for, um, painting that picture uh, with your story. Yeah. 
Uh, Ron, I'll add well, I hope that it's not just so much about a story, but I think, you know, for me, I'm going on more podcasts and being more now, uh, this is really my first step. This is, I would say, out of a hiatus. Uh, before that, uh, you know, I, I was doing videos on a daily basis for two years mm-hmm. straight, and I took a moment to take a pause. But I hope that more than just a story, I think what we need and what I'm trying to not trying what i'm doing is i'm beginning to start a crusade of reaching out to as many people as possible that want to stop talking about what things need to be done or stop talking about what the problems we have in our world society as humanity and start trying to get together to problem solve because in my story in anyone's story as human beings what we are is we're naturally problem solvers and if we're not solving problems we're making problems mm-hmm. and i'm going to repeat that again as human beings we are naturally problem solvers and if we are not solving problems we are creating problems and what's going on in my opinion right now in, in our country let's talk about our country because it's happening globally speaking too is we as human beings And notice I'm saying human beings. One thing that I'm trying to eliminate out of my vocabulary is race, uh, your ethnic background, or, you know, any place of where you're born of origin, social status, because we're human beings. We are focused too much on the problems that are going on. Before all this pandemic of the coronavirus and before, you know, you know, with Floyd, what's been going on with Black Lives Matter. People need to realize it. Our mainstream media had lost a lot of people, a lot of eyeballs. They're a business organization. Their livelihood depends and is contingent on us, we, as people watching the news. It does not mean that their responsibility, even though it should be, is providing us with accurate news. Their responsibility is to their shareholders of providing us with news that keeps and retains our attention. And we as human beings need to start becoming more aware of what's right and what's wrong. Because We are becoming sheep, even though we think that we're leaders, we're not leaders. Leaders are ones that can step back and understand what the problem is and try to, and if we don't know what the problem is, try to get people together collectively to really identify what the problem is and come up with a solution. You know, I have many ideas that I believe that I I feel that if I were to get with the right people, that we could actually really identify and crystallize the exact pinpoint problem. Every situation, no matter how bad it is, no matter how big it's become, normally the problem is not what's in your face at the time. That's usually the smoke. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of digging that needs to go on. Usually the problem starts with something very small before it snowballs. And I'd like to start a crusade of being doing that. And that's where if you want to ask where is my focus, my future, of where I want to do, uh, where I want to be? I want to collectively 
bring together the best leaders of our world to start coming up with solutions to problems that are human problems. I have a question for you. Where do you think those leaders are? Because they're not the ones that we know about for the most part. There are a lot of people that are empowered that obviously have failed us. So where, in your opinion, do you think those leaders, those leaders are going to come from? They're, they're actually there. They are actually there. Leaders already know innately inside. They have a calling. Leaders have a calling. I'm talking to the both of you, Brian and, and John, because by you just coming on and doing your podcast, you know you have a calling, but you made a decision to actually let the world know what that calling is. So the leaders that you're talking about are there, and the only way that they're going to step forward is if they start seeing that there is a door and opportunity in which there are other people just like them that they have the permission to come forward and make that decision to start removing the word fighting for. Uh, you know, the problem really, if you want to if you want to uh, have my opinion of where the problem really originated, we don't really know a date and time of when it originated. We just know that it could have been thousands of years ago. It could have been a million years ago. We don't know exactly when the problem started, but what was the problem was the minute the human beings started looking for differences as something that was a reason to separate. Mm -hmm. And until we as humanity, as, as a civilization, could acknowledge that what we're doing right now, the protests that we're doing, and John and I talked about this, I think they're important. They need to happen. However, once the balloon, the, the, the air is let out and we're able to maybe, you know, change some bills and some laws to be able to, to better protect ourselves the right way from, you know, uh, tragic police violence onto human beings. Once we're able to, to go into that direction, we have to realize that that's just a temporary band-aid. We need to actually be able to, to have the courage to step up and stop using the words as, he's a black man, I'm a Hispanic man, and you're a white man. Mm -hmm. She's a woman. He's a man. Any label we put like that is truly a droplet of separation that we may not even mm -hmm. see as being significant because it's not significant at the moment, but what we're living in and how we're living and what we're experience, experiencing all originated from that. What's next? So we're, you know, we have another alien race come to this world. And so either we're going to decide that we're humans and here's an alien race, or we're now going to categorize them as a, another race, another separation. When does it stop? It stops when, we, when leaders start stepping up and start awakening human beings that yeah. we're, we are human. The only, you know, and, and, and it's really discouraging sometimes until you have to encourage yourself again. 
to look at the positive aspect of that, that human beings, we as human beings, if you look at all of the animal species, we're the only one that's not doing a very good job. If today we were to remove all human beings off of the earth, the earth would be in a better place. If Mother Earth were a mother and she could speak, she would not be happy with her human child. That's the problem. So the question is, if we can identify and we can all agree that that's where the problem originates, then we can start sitting down and trying to figure out how to reverse engineer it and come up with the right solutions. And it's not gonna be something that is going to be, we can't even promise even if we do that, that we'll come out succeeding. We can't even promise it will come out where uh, this wishful thinking will come and originate and crystallize into a perfect world because that's not gonna happen. But if we could start shifting a mentality into the right direction, that's what the focus should be. So each generation going forward can start moving us back to where we should be, not where we are currently right now. You know, I found, Ron, in my general experience that pursuing this kind of development internally, as, as how mm -hmm. we view the world, it it's a very personal thing and it requires a very personal, often it requires kind of a ongoing relationship uh, where you can work through the challenge of changing your worldview. A worldview doesn't, it's very rare that somebody's going to change a worldview uh, from one experience. It's going to be a, a, an ongoing process. And and as you're speaking, I've been sort of thinking through, I've had all these moments where I want to ask you this question about, you know, yeah. how you develop skills or all these different things. But but actually what, what pops in my mind at this moment is that you mentioned multiple times that you do a lot of mentoring and that you work with a lot of, whether it's kids or business people, coaching, different stuff. And I guess I'm interested in, to know why you've chosen to put so much effort into that. And if you think that's a core part of this this crusade that you're trying to build. Because I feel like it's going to need to be. Sure. Mentoring is going to have to be a big part of this. Um, well, one, yes. It, it's very much a, a, a conscious decision that I've made. But because I have... You know, I do attract these type of opportunities without looking for them. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe because in the beginning, I consciously did start mentoring people because, uh, and in the beginning, it wasn't because I wanted to get paid. I truly wanted to give a person, another human being, an opportunity not to give up on themselves and better themselves as human beings. Uh, children, to me, kids, are a very important conscious way of me focusing my energy on more so than on the, I would say, uh, the business mentoring. The business mentoring just comes to me because more to mouth, I think, by now. But uh, I think big passion runs through with me with, with children. I'm a cub master for Liso Viejo mm -hmm. uh, for our kids here in the city. And I think it all begins with where we can make a change. Like you said, it doesn't have happen overnight. Yet, it's also very difficult to change people's habits after a certain age. Absolutely. So uh, I found that in focusing my energy with young kids, uh, they're moldable because they're looking for someone to put them in the right direction that they can trust. It's mm, a good point. And yeah. um, that's why I think that, um, you know, that, that's a very good place for us to start as human leaders is understanding that 
we can't give up on adults, but understand that that's going to be a very challenging direction to go. And as long as we're aware of that, but one thing as humans, we know for certain we're born and we die. So if we're looking to change a way of how humanity thinks, it's probably a better place to plant a seed with the young mm -hmm. because they're not infected with a lot of the things of society and the environment of how it is. Now, not all good things are bad in the world. There's a lot of great things. Not all things are bad in the protest. I mean, if you look at what our protests are going on, there's one thing that you, we can look at and agree upon is that in those protests, there is a vast diversity of human beings. That's right. John and I were talking about this, I think it was last week. You know, a lot of people ask, you know, why black lives matter? Isn't it all lives? Well, we all know that. That's, that's, that's obvious. That's not what people are saying. But it's a black life that was affected by that certain circumstance. And not just that circumstance, many circumstances before. And if we're human, we have to recognize it. If we look at, remember uh, that cartoon called the Trans, I'm not going to date myself, uh, <laughs> the Transformers? Yeah. Was it Transformers where? More than meets the eye. <laughs> or no, it was Voltron. Okay, remember Voltron. Voltron yeah. Where he, they, they have different tigers, the That's red right. one, the blue one, the yellow one, uh -huh. the black one. And, but they all made one, right? So the understanding that the differences that we have, if we combine them together and make one, that's where we need to be. And what we're saying is with Black Lives Matters, and please correct me if I'm wrong, John or uh, Brian, um, but from what I'm understanding, it's to cry out that it's my left arm that's hurt right now. Mm -hmm. Okay, my right arm might be fatigued. My right leg might be, you know, sore. But at this point in time, it's my right arm that's broken in five different places. Mm -hmm. And I need to go to an emergency room and I need people's help to even get to the emergency room right now. Can you help me? Because it's my left arm that's not working. And if we look at human beings collectively as a whole, that's what we're talking about is that we have to take a first step forward. And what I'm looking while well, I'm looking at the protests and I can see a diversity of wholeness and of oneness is that we're all collectively saying it's time for us to help make aware that this left arm that is tragically injured, the rest of the body needs to focus on taking care of that. The rest of the body has to start asking for help. Asking for help is not a weakness. And it's important for us to, to voice that uh, concern and to make an awareness and awakening of what's going on. But I'm really hoping that with this awakening that we're doing, that we can hold on to it and at that point in time evolve to an understanding that we need to start calling ourselves human and start working together. Because if we truly want to solve this problem that's going on, we have to break down the barrier, this mentality. And we all do it. We all do it. I do it. You know, um, last week, you know, someone asked me, you know, about my friend that, you know, you know, he's an Olympic runner. I go, yeah, John, he's a wonderful black man. 
I had to catch myself. Why am I saying that? Why, why should that matter? It's not a negative thing. And yeah. like you do the same thing, John. You know, Ron, you know, he, he's this Latino and, you know, he, he's, he's come through this adversity and got to where he has. You know, that's true. But to reverse engineer that, I, we're not going to be able to do that with our generation because there's certain habits that we have that are very difficult. That even though if we make a conscious awareness not to use those words of separation, but that belief in our mind is not going to change. But we can do that to the young kids and those young yep. kids' children and those children. Um, I think biblically speaking, they say our actions go seven generations forward, I think, right? So what we do today with this generation and how we do it is going to be something that we won't see the rewards from it until surprise seven generations forward. Yeah. So, um, I'm sorry. I, I think I took all of your guys' time, but uh, <laughs> no, Ron, it, it's a... really something I wanted to hit on today. That this crusade that that uh, we need to put as human beings together, um, we we need to take advantage of the moment and we need to do it right. Uh, there's a lot of people that are not doing it right, but they don't represent the majority. Yeah, and I'll just I'll just close with this, Ron. I mean, I think that what you're sharing and again I, you know i use the word story very loosely i mean we all have our our life and our experiences and it's not something that we you know take lightly as far as how we what labels we use we obviously use words uh, however we, as best we can uh, or at least we should words are so powerful but ultimately i think that what you've shared today about the experiences that you've had are a reflection in so many ways and then i'm and i'm excited to dive through it again and to cut it up and share certain parts and point out what, how we could use what you've shared to, to look at certain things today. But ultimately, I think that the thing that, that, that is most important is that we all have a responsibility and that the question I leave from this conversation, leave with is, is you know, what, what is your life really here going to be used for ultimately? Because I think it's, it's, in many ways a very selfish thing if all it is is just to kind of get stuff and and to you know get yours and and forget everybody else kind of an attitude kind of a thing it's like you know we're all here for each other ultimately and i think that we get so caught up in our fear and 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 trying to survive and you know what we where we think we should be based on all this noise mm -hmm. and if we eliminate the noise and this we truly look within ourselves we realize that None of this this stuff, seriously, and it's very frustrating to see big houses, lots of money, making it, quick rich schemes, not so quick rich schemes, but trying to make, make it rich and make it anyway. I mean, it's all BS. Everything that you're seeing is such BS. It's so inconsequential to forever, you know, because I'm like, we're all going to die someday. And I'm like, a hundred years from the moment you're born to, to the moment you die, you take your last breath. That quick quit scream, that internet thing, that one ad, that person that says they could teach you how to do all this stuff. I'm sorry, but they're all full of it, in my opinion. They're all full of it because there's no shortcuts. There's no shortcuts to true success. There's no shortcut to happiness. There's no shortcut to figuring out who you were born to be. And there's no shortcut to doing, uh, to getting to where you want to be with your life. You got to go through the whole journey to get there. That's just the way that it goes. And that's what you're saying and I think that that's the, the question we all need to ask ourselves is, 
what are you really going to do with your life that's of any real value? Because ultimately, if for any reason you think that your life isn't what it should be and you're mad at the people that came before you because of the things that they didn't do, well, then you better take a hard look in the mirror because you're doing that to the next generation and the next six or seven generations after that. So we all have a responsibility, like it or not, because those people that came before us had a responsibility. I agree. So we got to do something. We all have to do something. And I think that your interview today, your story today, what you've shared today reflects that very clearly. And I appreciate you uh, for taking the time to do that. And I'll let yeah. uh, Brian, you know, and you go ahead and close it out for us today. Thank you, Brian. I appreciate you letting me talk. Yeah, no, yeah. well, you know, I, I, there's a lot of things. I mean, I, I would love to follow up with you on some of these topics where we, you know, I, I tend to be a nuts and bolts guy and, and I have all these different little questions about sort of how you how you actually navigated some of these these situations. And so I hope at some point we can talk again in the future and dive into some of these a little, in a little more detail because I think, I mean, I come away one of the, honestly, at this point, there's, there's two main things. One is I, I'm a very big believer that one of the key ways we need to educate everybody is on how the media works generally not as a judgment about any particular media channel or or anything but literally understanding how media works and i don't know if you've read this book but it's probably the one book that's probably changed my perspective the most on on seeing the world in some way i read it when i was in university it's called amusing ourselves to death and it's by a, an author named neil postman and he was writing about tv in the 1980s and he was breaking down tv and how the, the structure of tv affects what TV, what what media they produce, and therefore how we receive it, and how we interpret it, and how we think. Mm-hmm. And it, you, if you, if I go back and read the book, I probably read it a few a few times. But now I read it, and I just substitute TV for social media, and and the same lessons apply. It's just, and and what what happens when you get to that point of seeing the media as a as a business and and for what it is is you can take a step back and start to realize how you're being influenced and how and how decisions are being made and how right, and not being upset about it either. and not be upset about it and just understanding right. this is a practical reality of the world as it's currently structured mm-hmm. but it allows you to step back and maybe not be so swayed by it you're always going to be influenced you're always going to be charged you know they the media is really good at, at at emotionally charging you with with the content that they produce but we all need tools to handle those situations. And so this is one of those ones that I, I'm referencing it to you because you, you brought it up and I immediately thought about it. And the last thing I'll just add is I love your idea of when when you have a lot of negative energy, finding something to put that energy into, right? Like it, 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 I think that's a really key thing. And I talk a lot about developing skills and creating what I call a skills network of skills that complement each other that allow you to create new opportunities. And, and all these ideas are great if you know what you want to do or if you have a skill that you know you want to pursue. But sometimes we're in a situation where what we're stuck and we have a ton of energy and no outlet, right? Exactly. And I think exactly. when you said that, it, it, it hit me and I said, you know, it almost doesn't matter that you're strategically choosing what you're going to put your energy into. You should be as strategic as you can, as you can be, but find something, and put your energy into it. And that simple act, I actually believe, is the the catalyst for the skills development and the other things that you're going to do. Like you you don't necessarily know what you want to do until you start doing something. Right? And and once you start doing something, you can then take a step back and sometimes you'll say, I don't like doing this. I'm gonna move on. I'm gonna go do something else. Right. But you might open it up and say, Oh, I love this and I never would have known until I started. 
right? And so um, anyway, these are the things that I took away from it. And I hope in the future we can dive into some of these other stuff at some point. Well, if you guys uh, invite me on again, I would say that maybe the next time what we can discuss is, like you said, helping people learn how to crystallize the dream that they have into a goal yeah, and how to achieve that goal yep. and what to expect, maybe how to be a better salesperson or a better marketing individual, a better entrepreneur. But those things, as far as providing them rather than theories, mm-hmm. uh, providing them you know, lessons, practicality with steps on how to achieve those different things, that, that one will probably be very good. But um, uh, No, I love what we covered today, Ron. I do. I, I think it's great. I think it sets up, yep. it gives people... I mean, the fact that you shared such a personal story and and a story that I'm sure is there are people probably in your world who don't know it and they might hear it and now it's going to create whatever situation that creates for you. But I really appreciate your willingness and your honesty. And as I end it, I want to ask you, is there anywhere someone people should go if they want to contact you? I don't know whether it could be social media, it could be your website, if, if you have anything you mentioned you did a lot of videos in the past. Anything you'd like to sort of promote or, or di- anywhere you'd like to direct people? Uh, well, if uh, people want to, the only form of media that I kept uh, available, but I have not updated for about, I think it was a couple years, mm-hmm. but the content is a lot. It's rich. There's two years of content there. The content is focused on how to motivate yourself, how to navigate through trials and tribulations of life. Great. Uh, and how to realize it, that what you have is more than enough to achieve the goals that you want. So if you want, you can go onto my Instagram. Uh, my Instagram is I am Ron Ronnie. Uh, I would encourage you to go there if you're feeling that you need some type of motivation, inspiration, or even want to reach out to somebody, you can DM me. I'm very accessible, I'm very real, uh, and I'll talk to you as a human being as you are, as an equal. Thank you, Ron. John, I I think this was a great episode. Ron, Ron, Ronnie, I feel weird saying it because I only know you as Ron Sarviento, but Ron, Ronnie, <laughs> thank you, Ronnie, so much for coming on and sharing your story. I appreciate it. And thank you, really Brian. appreciate having you. Thank you, John. Thanks, Ron. Appreciate you, brother. Appreciate you, man. All right. Thank you all for tuning in. You can find links to any articles or items we referenced in the show notes. Please subscribe and be sure to give us a rating. And remember to tell a friend about the show. The Gobi Moore Podcast is produced by Gobi Moore Apparel. Check us out at gobymore.co. For all of us at Gobi Moore, we are what the world is chasing, and we hope this podcast helps you become what the world is chasing too.